What up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, fellow earthlings and all you aliens out there. This one I recorded up in far north Queensland with Mr. Jeremy J. Jeremy has been a huge influence on the social scene of Cairns and far north Queensland for many years. Organised a lot of the social events, a lot of the hip-hop events, a lot of the music events that we experienced in the last decades. Jeremy was a part of in some way, shape or form as a DJ, also very influential as a graffiti writer, as a business owner and an event organiser. So yeah, it was a great to sit and have a chat with a guy that I'd experienced a lot of the stuff that he had sort of supplied to us music wise and that sort of thing, but I'd never had the chance to really sit down and have a chat with Jeremy. So it was really cool to sort of reflect on a lot of the things that he had organised and the way that he'd kind of shaped and influenced a lot of the, the social events that I'd partaken in in my early 20s and in my youth. So it was cool to sit down and have a chat and and sort of discuss where he's at and, and sort of where he's headed. But also, um, hopefully, you know, if you're ever thinking about organising events or, or getting into that kind of field, a lot of good advice in the conversation as well to sort of give you a bit of, of an idea of what it's all about. So... Big thanks to my boy Julian Boutelier for taking care of the audio edits on all of these. And shout outs to my crew over in Europe, Lauren Fry Fry, Sorica Nula. Just big shout outs to the whole crew over there. Wombats for life. Love all you guys. And yeah, thanks for listening. I appreciate all your support. <laughs> Jeremy J. I should almost start call you Dr. Jeremy J. I was thinking about it driving here. You got the street credentials, many, many years, decades of street uh, doctorate, I believe, in um, in Cairns area. Yeah, yeah. So, so many things that you've done over over in Cairns, I think, for the for the art scene over over the years. And I, I guess I'll jump back to my first memory of meeting you was probably at Tasty Records. Yeah. yeah. So that was an awesome little record store that you had in the, was that in the 2000s? Yeah, uh, early 2000s. It was what years exactly? I couldn't tell you. It, was, yeah. it is a bit of a mint. It becomes a bit of a blur, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Back <laughs> yeah. in the day, back in the day, it's all good. But, but yeah, we used to love going to that shop, man, and, and, and coming in and seeing you and checking out your records. And you um, inspired a lot of, of young musicians and DJs, a lot of my mates throughout that time. You know, JT yeah. is one that sort of, comes to mind one of me one of me good mates yeah, um, yeah. I think he bought you know a lot of his records off you and that yeah. was sort of I mean the internet was around but it probably wasn't as big as it is now it was a time when it was emerging so mm. to speak but mm. yeah we were the I guess a hub for the locals back in the day no doubt absolutely yeah so um yeah welcome to local heroes podcast Jeremy and yeah thanks for sitting down with me today all good yeah looking forward to having a bit of a chat about all of your um you know sharing a bit of your knowledge and that sort of thing about your experience and your understanding of the music biz, so to speak. Yeah. So I guess we'll just start at the start. So where did where are you from and, and where did you kick off and, and how did you end up up here in sunny North Queensland? Uh, good question. Uh, well, originally born and raised in Adelaide, South Australia. When I was, uh, when I turned 21, I, I went overseas for a couple of years and uh, got back to Adelaide and 
thought, what am I doing here? And looked to go elsewhere, as far away from Adelaide as possible for, for, for a variety of reasons. And Cairns was sort of on the short list, as well as uh, actually Perth was somewhere I was also looking at. But had a couple of mates that were already living up here. So they talking to them, they sort of encouraged me to um, come and at least check it out. Uh, and that was in 1999 that I moved here. So it's 20 years actually this year that I've been here. And uh, yeah, the rest is history, I guess you could say. But in saying that, uh, a lot of what I guess we're talking about here today, uh, what I've brought to Cairns in a sense, I uh, Adelaide in, was the influence, you know, in terms of uh, friends and, and the scene down there. Um, so the big, big street art scene down there, hey. Yeah. It's probably yeah. not as big, especially back in the day. Yeah. Up here, but, but down there, I remember going down to Adelaide when when I was like fifteen and just mm -hmm. being blown out by the there was just so much street art. Probably, yeah. I mean, probably equal to Melbourne, but like compared yeah. to any other sort of city of Australia, it, it was probably one of the one of the biggest cities for for yeah. awesome sort of street art. Yeah, absolutely, no doubt. I mean, like you know, you look at the population thing, and you know, obviously Melbourne's bigger, so. You would think there'd be more graph writers and whatnot, or, or DJs, or whatever we're talking about here. You know, there's more to draw from. There's bigger population base. So, for mine, like you know, Adelaide was very healthy, no doubt. And uh, I, my dad lived in Melbourne, so I was quite lucky in a sense that living in Adelaide, doing what I was doing, and then um, being able to go to Melbourne on school holidays and whatnot, and and just and drawing from that too, you know. And, I think Adelaide and Melbourne had a pretty strong connection as well, you know, in terms of crews and, and riders and, and whatnot, sort of um, bumping off each other, so to speak. Uh, so when I was, I think I was about the age of 11 or 12, uh, in the neighbourhood I lived in, in Adelaide, which was just near the showgrounds, and, and there was a massive wall that lined the, the railway, and that was just uh, full of graffiti and, and being a young Dude on BMX bike going for little journeys around the neighbourhood. I remember stumbling across it and just being blown away, you know, just seeing all this artwork on there. And and at an early age, I was drawing and whatnot. I, I learnt to read via uh, comics and, and that was my way of enjoying reading and, and whatnot. And so you see the combination of art and words and whatnot combined there and then seeing it on a wall like that was like, whoa. And then I remember, um, again, I, sorry, years and ages and a bit vague but i remember there came out um stickers like um by packs of stickers uh, graffiti stickers um that were from the states but somehow they came to australia and a few of my mates at school and that were collecting them and again that sort of pushed it a little bit further and then the next thing you know you're picking up pencils and 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 textures and whatnot and you're drawing and and then you just want to take it a little bit further and then you're sneaking out at night and hitting walls. And so does it whatnot. start out with, with tags? Was that was that like the, yeah. your early sort of, um, was that like your introduction into, into graffiti art is, the, is tagging? Yeah, I think that, that definitely when you're younger and uh, you're sort of hungry to see your name out there amongst others and, and whatnot. I mean, you soon sort of learn that, you know, in a sense it's kind of a waste of time uh, and a waste of paint for that too and energy and whatnot um, and you, you sort of look to do bigger and better things so that's part of the evolvement if that's the right word um, part of evolving with graffiti and even today you know like you you, you go around the streets even in Cairns and, and when you're down south and you see tagging and scribble on that you just think ah you know like obviously they're young and um, they're just wanting to 
sort of get their name out there. You sort of understand it's that it's part of the evolution of, of yeah. graphite. Evolution is, is just sort of yeah, just dialing it in, like yeah. you said, just just doing a bit of a throw up or something that's fast. Because yeah. there's also, I mean, obviously illegal art is there's a, there is a thrill aspect to yeah. it as well. No doubt. So yeah. you know, the quicker you can get it up and get the yeah. fuck out of there too. Yeah. But you also see dudes like Lister still, mm-hmm. you know, bombing his tags up all over Brizzy, and you see mm-hmm. heaps of just real basic as shit mm. so you know some of the really you know great artists of, of our day also still still tag you know what i mean so yeah, it's, well, i think it's like a it's a it comes part and parcel with with the package of graphite you know in, yeah well it's it, it's it's a, it's a part of it you know mm. um it's not as pretty or as beautiful or uh, as articulate as, as some other stuff but in saying know. in saying that like you, the more mature guys you'll see uh, or older blokes that have been around for a while you'll see that they put a fair bit of effort into the way their tag may look, you know. Uh, they'll make it artistic or whatever, um, whatever's, whatever their purpose is, you know. Uh, so, this, look, I, I get that. But for me, like, I look at a, a spray can and um, or a marker for that matter or whatever and just think oh, I can do bigger and better things with this. So I'll, go, I'll take it that step further. Thankfully, uh, I sort of got that out of my system within a year or two of, and so what was, sorry to interrupt, mate, but what was your, your graph name back then? Uh, has it stayed the same over time or has it evolved? No, I did I did manage to hang on to, um, I had a couple of tags being sect and react initially, but I didn't hold on to them for very long because I, I soon found out that they were quite common, you know, not just within Adelaide, but globally. And so I was looking for something that was, um, I could, run with that was unique and never heard of which ended up being and I, I played with that word a bit you know in terms of spelling and the way it looked and whatnot and then um you know even with uh, graph pieces you know combining the word with uh i don't really know how to say this sorry but the word into like uh like descriptive sort of thing or? yeah yeah but also you know making it look like it was literally a yeah, the man. word or the the the, the, mm-hmm. the letters or whatever. So that yeah, I want to say that um, it was many years ago, and when I was a sort of young bloody hooligan, we used to go up to the water tanks and like bust into them and go swimming. Yep. Um, I remember getting up to uh the Warri water tank up there back mm-hmm. in the day, mm-hmm. and man, it was just like this water tank was just incredible. There's, there'd obviously been a lot of good artists up there, including yep. yourself. Yep. Um, I remember seeing your artwork and just thinking mm. how tight and crisp and clean and right it was. But yeah, there was just so much. It was just like a, a natural sort of outdoor gallery. A lot of those water tanks are. Yeah, you can get up and have a look around. And man, there's yeah. just you know a lot of talented artwork that's sort of in these secret locations. That's yeah. like these outdoor museums that mm. sort of a lot of people don't get to see unless you mm. sort of get out there and, and have a, have a look at them. But well, very very mm. true. I mean, in in Cairns here, we're not. Um, spoiled with legal walls and whatnot so you've got to find your way your outlet i mean you can do things privately in terms of your own backyard or canvases or whatever you know whatever whatever tickles your fancy in a sense of what you like to paint but in a public sense uh, we're limited so uh, and you like to paint with others and whatnot too and see what others are doing so those big water tanks in the rainforest are absolutely prime and you're right. There's a fair amount of history for Cairns in with those, and we've had plenty of uh, riders uh, from around the world come to Cairns, and they've all left their mark as well, which has been great. Uh, in saying that, um, painting one of those water tanks back in the day, I actually got into trouble. 
and that's why I had to let the, the tag that I just mentioned go and then moved on to tune, uh, which incorporates obviously the music side of things too. I love my tunes, so tune was my, and is still to this day, something that I still work with. So. Oh, well, I didn't know about you getting in trouble. Um, yeah. Which I, I think, you know, obviously with being a street artist, there's always that, that risk of, of, you know, being pursued, even though in, you know, I guess there's two ways to look at it within the spectrum, but I guess the polar opposites is it's art yep. and it's beautiful and it's something that should be supported yep. or it's illegal, it's, you know, it's an eyesore and, it's, and it shouldn't be there. Mm. Um, and obviously every sort of thought process in between. Mm. But I mean, obviously you as a street artist have a perspective, but obviously the government or the council or, mm. or the police have a different sort of perspective on it. And I think the best kind of understanding of that or, or, or way to sort of understand that whole the whole concept, have you seen that the Netflix um, uh, documentary Meet the Listers about Anthony Lister? No, no, I haven't. Man, you, yeah. you got to jump on and check that out. Yeah. It, it kind of just follows his life. And I mean, he was, he, you know, he, he documented and filmed a lot of his sort of coming up. Yeah. And yeah, you know, it sort of shows his sort of fight with the Brisbane Council about you know, his artwork and that sort of thing and counting him getting in trouble and paying fines and a lot of back and forth. But yeah, um, yeah. it sounds familiar to me. So, dude, but, yeah. I definitely recommend that you that you watch it. Um, yeah. and also for the listeners to jump and jump on and, and, and watch it because it's yeah. a it's an awesome kind of sort of story or, or, or documentary about this guy's life and about his sort of, you know, ups and downs and challenges as an as an artist. But um it's it's a good sort of insight into the into the whole sort of how it works for a street artist, you know. Well, it's funny you, you brought something up just before in terms of me getting into trouble, and you were mentioning how you know the council or the police may view it and whatnot. It's it's a funny thing in terms of the result of me getting in trouble is um, I ended up in court, and thanks to my good lawyer, um, I, I was okay, but. Um, the judge actually said, like looking at the artwork, he's like, "This is fantastic. I can see the effort and time that you put into it, mm. um, and even the location of it being the water tanks in the rainforest. It's not this, this is not offensive in any way, shape, or form to anybody, and it shouldn't be. But he can see why we use it as an outlet, and he, he was he was glowing in in that. Sense. It was it was quite remarkable to hear the judge saying this, and actually sticking it up to the police that were trying to ping me." In, in court so it was quite funny that they had that the judge had that perspective as perspective you mm. know so other people can see it you mm. know it's yeah. just a shame that it's sort of got to be it's got to go down that path mm. of to to be like sort of almost criminalized yeah that your hands are left that you sort of the process is left in the hands of the determination of the judge of yay or nay whether that's a good thing or a bad thing and it could have went the other way you could have got a shit judge and all of a yeah. sudden you're yep. getting you're getting nailed, you know. So, um, yep. in in which case, it, I believe Lister did, you know, end up paying fines and yep. you know sort of getting in trouble for it. So. I, I had to pay a fine in the end. It was only mm. like a few hundred bucks, and mm. it was only to cover the court costs, so to speak. That that was literally what the judge said. He said, otherwise, you know, you'd, you'd be walking away today. But we have to, you know, there's a, a process here, I guess. And anyway, in saying that, I was quite lucky. Yeah. So, yeah. And and you know, like the cops were. Coming at me in a sense too because of uh, they saw me as a bit of an instigator because of the shop selling spray paint and, and, and things, you know. So 
I understand that what people do with the paint and whatnot when they walk out the shop is completely in their hands. I mean, they can walk into Bunnings or any other shop in town and still do the same thing and still the same outcome, so to speak. But I was just offering uh, something that was a little bit more in tune with what riders were up, you know, in terms of the quality of paint and colours and everything else that comes with it, so to speak. So uh, the cops didn't like that and they made a point of that, but I just kept on keeping on, you know, for the sake of... Uh, for my sake, but also everybody else that was sort of relying on me in a sense too, that, you know, providing cool, that. So yeah. So how how long was um? Do you know how long was Tasty open for? I felt like it was like there for a good ten years or so. Is yeah. that about right? Yeah, thereabouts. I mean, uh, um, um, I'm just trying to think. I reckon it was like two thousand, two thousand and one thereabouts when it started. Um, and then I reckon it was probably say five years ago. Maybe a bit longer when it closed down, and I wasn't around for the last two or three years. Um, that was left to my ex partner, and yeah, so yeah, it was. I reckon just over ten years. Yeah, man. About, so yeah, yeah, a lot of lot of, like I said, a lot of good memories. Um, mm. directly coming into that shop and mm. flicking through records, and um, but indirectly as well, a lot of my mates having just sick records and mm. just playing um mad beats and. Mm. Uh, even going back to like my 18th birthday, I had like a, a bit of a party down the river and I had a bunch of guys, a bunch of DJs come down and we're scratching it up. Like yeah. old, old Maggie, like yeah, Magic Man yeah, was yeah. ripping up some Tetris beats and yeah. man, it was epic dudes. And yeah. so indirectly, a lot yeah. of those records that were being spun yeah. would have came out of your shop, you know yeah. what I mean? So Well, look, you know, again, growing up in Adelaide and, and having going to Melbourne a lot and whatnot, I had those outlets down there and moving to Cairns, I mean, we had very little of it. Um, in terms of the music side of things, we had Sanity. Uh, we had other music shops around too, selling CDs and whatnot. But vinyl-wise, for the DJs, like Sanity had some, but it was just like one crate, if that. And with the myriad of DJs around town all um, fighting over that one crate of vinyl, it was kind of frustrating and um, wasn't enough. In a sense. You know, having to travel down south to actually um, get this stuff, you know, on hand, it was frustrating for somebody like myself that you know growing up i was going to in adelaide the central station records a shop i used to get frequent a lot and i'd be there three or four times a week you know so i didn't want to miss out on what was coming in from overseas so and in other ways of you know with the paint and whatnot the graffiti and whatnot um actually central station again was a good outlet for that too so uh i i missed that and struggled a bit with cans because of that and I you could created see you created the scene essentially yeah, yeah in a sense yeah so and like you, you didn't have it here so you, you essentially created it, it. that's yeah. and that's cool man bringing mm. bringing culture yeah to a place that's maybe defunct of culture yeah i get that vibe a little bit i don't want to shit on the sunny coast because i love it yeah it's really got a good sort of surf culture and um there's a really good sort of heritage of surfing that sort of thing but um my wife lily is from las vegas and she's yeah. a tattoo artist you know we we often talk about you know the big cities and she loves the, the big city life you know likewise being where she's from so mm. we talk a lot about you know the culture and bringing the culture to to a location and, mm. and it, like you as an individual created this shop which mm. inspired a bunch of kids that mm. got into you know the, the brooks Brothers, yep. you know, yep. Nikki, Raw Dog, um, yep. now Uncle Toby making beats. Yeah, you know, even Deaf Art, like so many guys that you once again directly and indirectly inspired. Sure, 
that sort of pursued that because of the that maybe that one shop or that availability mm. of the records and that which is yeah. you know JT like so many of my friends man mm, mm. Um, sort of followed followed that direction mm. because of that shop I believe and, you and, know? and these people you mentioned and and others out there you know like it was the driving thing behind that too because I could see for myself them feeding off it you know. Uh, in saying that, Tasty did start out as uh, a fashion outlet uh, for local designers, local fashion designers, and which is cool. But it, it wasn't. It, it sort of struggled a bit with it. Um, and I don't think the location helped as well. But I got given the opportunity to start bringing music in, and I just went for it. And then things grew from there with the painting side of it, and then you know, DJ equipment, even the clothing and, and whatnot, that was all based around, again, street art or beat music scene, you know, nightlife, clubbing and, and whatnot. So it, I was pretty fortunate in the sense that I had the opportunity to present itself. I did have to force it a bit, but mm. um, mm. it's all good in there. I had to learn. We had to start small, you know. We started with a few CDs and a few records and, and whatnot. We didn't go, bang, here's a shop that's wholeheartedly based on this. We, we just grew with it you know and we did actually outgrow our shops and we had three locations in the end where started small and, and grew and and it was fantastic to watch and um you know for it was heartening because i spent a lot of time back in those days it wasn't easy to buy records and stuff i was going to say that was going to be one of my questions is like mm. where were you actually sourcing your records from in those days when the internet mm. wasn't like this you didn't have discogs and like these, yeah. you know, these big sort of record online stores that you do now. It was, what was it like back then and where were you getting your uh, records from? Well, we had suppliers uh, based around Australia, mainly Sydney and Melbourne, they were based. So just sort of sourcing, sussing them out, uh, who were the, who were supplying the major labels and not around, distributing, I should say, around Australia. And, and then uh, from there, I mean, we did have the internet, so I'd get sent every week from the distributors they'd send me their lists of tunes and, and releases that were coming out and you know you're looking at these things in black and white you know in terms of writing and it doesn't mean anything when it comes to music so you actually do your best utmost to try and hear it before you order it and because obviously you don't want to be ordering crap mm. so know, was it was Bandcamp around like back in those early days no, or it no. would have been um no, there, there was MySpace. You wanted me to jump on MySpace or some yeah, shit and check them out or something. Yeah, towards the end there, no doubt. And the, I, I can't remember really relying on MySpace, but you would just do your utmost to you know Google it or whatever the process was back then, um, and, and look. I mean, like I said, like I'd, I'd get these sheets of lists of what was releasing. You know, you're talking thousands of records, like singles or albums, a week, and you just go through that. And you just try to highlight what you think will work in it you know what people will like uh and then you target that and then you try to find it if you can't find it then you're literally ringing up the distributor and they're playing it for you over the phone right <laughs> cool. so you, old well, school yeah, there were times there over, you, over the mobile phone or like the no, landline <laughs> landline literally like, old but, school yeah like I, I spent a lot of time in the uh in the shop when i was working you know at quiet times i'd um, ring up the distributors and say hey play me some tunes play me something so i'd be sitting there with the phone in my ear you know just listening to whatever they're flipping on on, on the other end and Sometimes I'd sit at home as well, just hours on end, just sitting there talking to the uh, distributors. So you, you, you got to you gain a bit of trust and whatnot with those distributors. They get to know you. You have your reps, and 
they, they understand. Know what you're ordering. Yeah, yeah, they they can see mm. for themselves what you're what's working for you. So they actually then are working on your behalf in a sense. They're trying to eliminate the crap for you. And then yeah, every time I went down to Melbourne, I actually go and visit them as well, um, going to their warehouses and, and whatnot. And and again, they would open the doors for me to actually go through their vinyl and their CDs and actually listen to myself, which was pretty cool too. As a DJ, like you've just got this world of music in front of you to play with, which, which helps me mm. too in mm. many ways. But getting, uh, getting the freshest records yeah. and yeah. So then from there, you know, you sort of learn from the guys that are coming into the shop and seeing what sort of makes them tick a bit you say then i'm in tune with them you know like i'm i'm hearing things and i think to myself oh this is shit hot oh i think oh jt or maggi or whoever nick cook or whoever you know he'll like this you know so i think of these people you know individually when i'm hearing it thinking oh, i'll get that in and you know if it doesn't work for him it doesn't it might work for somebody else it generally does but that was sort of how that sort of worked. And I spent a lot of time on it, I've got to say, like um, hours and hours. And it was after years of it, you know, you, you get it down pat, but it becomes draining too, you know, because mm. um, you, you do have to listen to a lot of crap music to find the gems as it is. So that was hard in itself. But yeah, again, it's almost like you're the filter, like you're the one yeah. that's going through listening to all the shit yep. to find the magic, yep. to be able to bring it back to the crew in cans, to be yep. able to deliver that, that cool music. Yeah, and so, so yeah, you're spending a big chunk of your time just listening to shit music, trying to find the, mm. trying like you said, trying to find the gems. Yeah, and, so, and, and, and especially in those old days, like <laughs> listening to shit on the phone and yeah, like, man, it like hard. it's so crazy that like we're talking about you know 19 years ago, mm. but I mean, there's there's kids now that that wouldn't even know what we're talking like we've got sure. no idea of like yeah. pre digital music yeah. of like. Being able to just jump on and find your, your your jam on YouTube, or you don't find it there, you find it on Spotify or Pandora, yeah. or you oh, can name it, man. Oh, like there's just so, like Discogs or Bandcamp, or like man, there's just so many oh. different options these yeah. days, and a lot of that stuff just didn't exist, you know. It didn't, man, mm. and and it's frustrating to think now. If, I mean, I, I I probably wouldn't open another record shop or music shop these days because of the nature of things, but I wish I had that those tools back then because it would have cut out a lot of time for me, you know, that I spent on it, but it's all good. It's all part of it. And I had the energy and, and whatnot to do so. But in saying that too, you know, there are so many genres that people are playing out there too. So I sort of, I really stretch myself, you know, like I'm listening to things that I might not necessarily usually listen to, but trying to pick out the, the quality, you know, like I wasn't, you know, a, a big trance DJ or, trying to think of other genres examples of but you know like you could talk to me about hip-hop so who was your trance guy was bake was baker doing the trance back then was that his thing so you're pulling records for baker back in those days and oh mate Mm. there was quite a few to Mm. be honest with you Mm. and i think you'll be surprised at how many guys were djs you know like Mm. buying music Mm. back then more Mm. so than you think because mm. they're all there's so many bedroom bangers out there, you know, and they're doing it for their own reasons. Um, yeah, and that that sort of old school. We're, we're talking pre CDJs, pre yeah. um, pre like digital audio, essentially. So yeah. yeah, people had to buy records if they wanted to spin, mm. if they wanted to spin music, if they wanted to be a DJ. That's mm. how you did it. Yep. Yeah. You know, and that was kind of almost the end of that era. Once you know your your CD CDJs and that sort of started coming in, it kind of sort of shot off in another direction so to speak yeah. and we've just seen such a 
a dramatic change in the way that we consume music over the last 20 years. It's really just been incredible just trying to sort of keep up with it, you know, and, and how much the, the instruments and the tools have changed and, and the, the process, you know, mm. where now like, man, I can, I've got like garage band, you know, like yeah. on my phone, I can dick around like making little drum beats and mm. little loops and little samples and yeah. shit and play <laughs> like a Japanese instrument and stuff like well, you know, that's for, a good, for 10 minutes just chilling, you know, so it's just crazy how it's changed, you know. That's a posit mm. positive, though, in mm. the sense that it's made it more accessible. accessible yeah. yeah, you mm. know, like mm. at the, at, it yeah. definitely is the consumer, mm. like for me as a consumer of music, like, yeah, it's incredible now mm. because we we have, like, I've got an incredible access, you know, yeah. and even with Spotify, it's got the algorithm. Yeah. And it's like having Jeremy J, mm. you know, the, 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 the like, the guru of like what's good music mm. it's the algorithm that can constantly keep me updated on like fresh tunes and daily mixes and yeah. and and be feeding me new music as well you know yeah. and predicting new music so it's insane because even back in the day like i said i'd have to go see jeremy or yeah. jt yeah. or raw dog and be like yeah. oh man yeah. like what's the fresh beats you know yeah. what's yeah. cool you know yeah. so even the way that we even like learn about new music is mm. just completely yeah. been turned on its head man so it's as a consumer it's great you know yeah well, like i said before mm. like i used to spend three to four nights a week after work on the way home dropping into central station and spending time in there talking to the guys or digging around myself and now all i do is like you know when i've got the time i just sit on my phone and dig through like an app yeah that shows me what's new this week and just sit there and filter through that you know mm. it only takes me an hour or two next 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 yeah so it is mm. totally different i mean it's sad in a sense because uh you know it's taken away that like i said before tasty was a hub for local djs and people don't enter the scene so to speak so you don't you don't you lose that by losing the record store side of things but that's just the nature of it. And, and, and there's other things too that I could talk about there in terms of it being detrimental to the, the scene or music scene in that now, you know, you used to have to go to the club and hear a DJ play to hear, you know, some shit hot new school breaks or whatever. It wasn't like now you pick up your phone and go, oh, I'll just check out the latest hot mix from Crafty Cuts or Stanton Warriors or whatever. Mm. You used to have to go to the club and listen to it mm. or you pick up the occasional CD here or there you could listen to your car or at home but now it's this you know you talk about podcast or um mm. you know you, it's not hard to find that mm. so it's taken out the special element of that of the music the underground side mm. of thing you know you don't and even like the, yeah good speakers you know you need to go to a club to listen to mm. something on a good sound system mm. Whereas now, you know, you've got epic set of headphones, yep. whatever Beats by Dre or Sennheiser's, whatever, you can chuck that on and, and just yep. the quality of, of even being able to hear music is just mm. so so great now that, yeah, you can get mm. that almost like that. Um, I mean, it's never going to be the same mm. as a live gig, going to see a live uh, musician. Yep. But definitely that, that sort of bedroom quality has mm. increased, you know, mm. tenfold. Yeah. Like I, I would have got excited, like, uh, for instance, you know, like a big name DJ, like someone like uh, Sasha or John Digweed, who are influences to me in the sense in, in club music. And you know, if they were coming to town, I'd yeah, I'd, I'd dare say I'd go check it out. But if they were playing in Townsville or whatever, you know, back in the day, if they were playing it, yeah, definitely I would go down. But now it's like, oh, I'll just pick up my phone, I can listen to them that way. You know what I mean? Like it's not, mm. I don't know, it, mm. it, it has been detrimental in a sense. And 
I think nightlife in general is hurting from it. Locally, things are not once they once what once sorry what they, they once used were yeah yeah what they used <laughs> to be tongue yeah. twister yeah um, you know now so you I, reckon it sort of just slowed off for the live like the site in the yeah the live music scene well I, I saw it you know like mm. through and you think sorry just to step in there really yeah. quickly because yeah. it sort of just it, like I'll forget if, yeah. unless we segue now yeah. uh, Green Ant Cantina incredible establishment that's yeah. been there for for decades was like a pillar of a lot of live music as well. Do you reckon that's sort of why they've sort of sh- sh- oh, closed down, or is that sort of different I, I, different I, reasoning as well? I think different for them. Um, I think it. I think it was a bigger picture thing, not just the music side of things for them. So, I mean, I, I ultimately don't know the full story there, but um, mm. I think it's a bigger picture, not you know, in terms of people seeking out music and, and whatnot. They, they were holding some decent parties and that there, from what I understand, the last few years and being well. You know, patronised, you know. Yeah, it seems them. like, because it's so funny, man, like, yeah. I'd, I've been away for, from Cairns for, like, close to 10 years now. I, I left probably in my early 20s and yeah. been out and about, but I remember the Green Ant was just always that sort of, that yeah. hub that you'd go to, and they had, it was always, you know, you go there on a Tuesday night, and there'd be some random international act that's, you know, yeah. got his little loop station and making yeah. beats, and, you know, just awesome music there pretty frequently. Yeah. And I was so stoked to come back, and I'm like, Green Ant's still here, that's so awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was like, I don't know, a month or so ago, whatever it was. I'm like, yeah, it's so good. And then it's like, oh, it's closing down, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah, I'm man. like, oh my God. So we went we went to like the last night or whatever, and I'm like, I can't believe it, you know? Yeah, it's a shame. It mm. really is. I mean, that, that, that they were there, you know, from since I moved here, I, I, if I remember correctly. I remember having some great nights there, you know, years ago and, and recently too. And, um, they had a pretty good formula there, so yeah, that place was an institution, man. Yeah, it's mm. a shame. Um, yeah, seen plenty of venues come and go, value and cans, and definitely for some of them, this thing about music and it and its power to draw in, you know, in terms of live DJs and whatnot, they were affected. I think I, the way I see it, and the last few years there of me putting on parties, promoting, bringing DJs and acts to cans, like I could see it myself in terms of you know lack of support and whatnot from people where there was a time there where you you, you could look at any weekend locally and there'd be two or three decent events happening in Cairns and things were pumping along nicely and then things just faded out there as uh as this like we talk about technology and, and ways of listening to music and want access to it accessibility and for me that's like standing back and looking at it is a big that, reason for it. Yeah, that, yeah, you reckon? Yeah, I do. Okay. I really do. And mm. um, you know, I know that it's not cheap for people to go out necessarily and party and all that. There, there are other restrictions, you know, um, licensing things and whatnot have come into play in terms of uh, lockout laws and smoking and and whatnot. I saw those things affected as well. And I just think it was almost like a perfect storm. So where, it's slowly being loaded and more loaded and more yeah. loaded. It's costing more and more money to. Yep. To and, be able to license a venue. And, and, and the freedom of clubbers as well, where, you know, you could walk in and out of this club and that club, but now you've got to be in club by whatever time and you can't, you know what I mean, and then you can't just journey down the road to the next one sort of thing. So those sort of things. a lot things, of control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. It, it took out a lot of, I guess, the fun of it, but um, you kind of feel limited um, by what you're doing when you go into town when those things are going on and, being a DJ, you kind of have the the bird's eye view of venues when you when you're playing, and 
like I said, when the, the smoking laws came in, like that really did affect things. Like people were literally told where to stand in the club if they wanted to spit a smoke, and then they had to leave the club uh, if they wanted to smoke. And I remember um, during my time at Soho uh, nightclub, my residency there, where and cadence a little bit after that it was called, and then um, they, people used to go up to the roof. To yeah, smoke. we used to go upstairs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So you, you'd, you'd see people sort of filter in, they'd have a drink again, like I said, the bird's eye view of a DJ, and, and you'd see them come in and get a drink and sort of socialise a bit. Next thing you know, they've they left the room. You think, what the hell's going on? Yeah, people all... are sort of coming up and down. And, yeah, yeah, coming the, the, and going. The, the fluidity of it sort of ruined things a bit, and then the lockout laws came in, and so people were leaving venues to go to certain venues, and it was just... It was, kind of confusing in a sense because you'd think well hang on this this party's good why do you feel the need to go to that venue before three o'clock or whatever that just basically kills the party that you know there's a variety of variables there um but you, you could see it happening and um it's a real shame and it is what it is you can't fight it so mm. obviously there's a lot of um uh, pirate sort of events happening out there you know like that's another thing too like 20 years ago djing at um, beach parties and what not too up here which were pretty prime and seeing them um, sort of work their way into restricting that you know through council and police and uh, whatnot seeing that sort of die a bit I mean I know there's still an element of it going on but the days of you know four or five hundred people being on a beach doing their thing are long gone so that that was a, a bit of a scene changer too so you know always sort of felt like you're up against it by creating this outlet for people to have some fun and with nightlife and whatnot. And yeah, and then you, on top of that, as a promoter DJ, then you're dealing with club owners and managers and whatnot who have their own ideas, which is another thing in itself. And over time, like they try to look for the easy way of making money and whatnot, which you, you can't blame them. They're in business to make money. But it's kind of frustrating where you're coming in with this element of artistic view of the music and nightlife and cans and yeah that that mm. good, good word quality mm. and then they come in and uh you know they just want you know the top 40 mashup stuff and, and whatnot which to me is not sort of educating or um doing the right thing by the scene when i say scene i mean the underground scene i mean you can talk commercial and underground but yeah that it got harder so then the owners and the managers are getting harder to work with and and at a time there, you know, 20 years ago where they were opening their doors to you coming in and doing it, bringing something fresh and whatnot. Because when I moved to Cairns, like bands was the big thing still. Every room and every club in town had a band still. There was only two rooms that I recall that actually had turntables for DJs and that was a Millennium Bar, which is where I was working in the playpen upstairs, a little room, and then uh, downstairs at the wall shed. So they were the only two rooms I knew of I can recall they had actually had turntables and the funny thing is is the millennium room they were my turntables so that was the reason they were there because I put them there so that DJs had you know an outlet so to speak so uh, to see the the club sort of scene in Cairns go from all bands then swing through to all DJs after probably you know about five years something like that and then just to see that sort of boom and go off and it was pretty good cool time to be a part of it and involved and whatnot and then just to see it sort of gradually say the last say 10 years 
um, sort of just slowly sort of dissipate a bit. You know, it's kind of sad. I mean, I, I, so where would you say it's at sort of now in terms of uh, live music and and what would you say the experience that the punter is kind of is engaging with now? Would you say it's mm. like uh, they go out less often, but they might go and spend maybe a bit more money on something to see a bigger act, or sort of where's yeah. where's it sort of heading? Would you say that's a good question? I mean, like, uh, uh, festivals came into sort of kick things in sort of gear a sense in terms of combining live and DJs and whatnot, which was pretty cool. But obviously, locally here they were few and far between in a sense, but people were still trying. You saw that come through, that sort of phase, and now that sort of has died in a sense too. Locally, at least, I think down south it has too. Well, you don't see as many festivals as you once did. Yeah, no, it was um, going gangbusters there for a minute, but yeah. I think probably your insurances and that sort of oh, thing. Okay. And yeah, it's funny how like how things have evolved in the music industry, and it's almost like a domino effect. But a, a lot of the sort of the death of the CD. Mm. And um, pirate music, I think, sort of in, it sort of kicked a lot of artists to get back into touring. Yeah, well, that, I was mm. sort of going yeah, that, that sort of roundabout of to, mm. to go back to your mm. question um, as to where it's at now. I, mm. I do think live uh, music has sort of come back. Mm. You know, like I don't really think it ever really disappeared, but mm. definitely it's it's probably stronger than it was say ten years ago, uh, where the DJs were sort of the big thing back then, and and now it's sort of gone back again. And I, I think people are willing to pay. To see live music i mean as you know you saw me i was down in brisbane to see nas and we paid to go mm. down and see that you know mm. we don't see much of that here so people are still willing to do it if they're if they can mm. if, I, if they've got the means to and you touch on it there where now music is more of a marketing tool for uh, musicians or artists so they're producing so they've got a something to say hey here i am this is me but they're 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 more trying to get the tours going and the merchandise and things like that that go with it to make the money. That's wow, that's crazy, huh? Yeah. There's mm. still money to be made by being a producer, don't get me wrong, um, but I just think it's harder than it may have been a few years ago. And you got to be you got to be turning over high-volume numbers on the, on the sort of digital to be able to, like, be getting a return on your music sort of thing. Yeah. Sort of got to be pretty... Because you're not you're not selling records per se. You're selling just plays, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. that's what it is on clicks. a lot of yeah, yeah, click throughs and all. And mm. you know that's a thing too with social and media. And like you said, it's more merch. Like we're just talking about Odd Future and mm. people like that. Like th those guys that kind of really came in at the like at the on YouTube and were doing a lot of digital media mm. and then promoting like golf, you know, clothing, apparel. So it's really like this multi-dimensional kind of marketing tool now, isn't yeah. it? Well, well I, mm. I sort of saw it in a sense that uh, a couple of festivals and big shows, uh, concerts that I've been involved with. And it's funny how, you know, 20 years ago, like it was all about selling the tickets to get in, but they were they were selling their tunes, be it by CD or whatever. Now making money that way, you know, good money, decent money. And as time went on, you just sort of saw them the promoter or the manager of the acts that were coming through pushing more and more we want to sell merch we want to sell merch because they're obviously seeing that as a way of them to make the dollar you know mm. so to speak and that it was interesting to see that yeah it's crazy how, how everything is really just being turned on its head and um and then kind of reinventing itself essentially mm. and and people are with with the the advent of all these different sort of technology 
the way that things are kind of shifting and, and we're sort of navigating it and, and working through it. I just wonder on like on a local level, you know, where does it end up or, or how does Cairns kind of respond or react to it? Because I feel, I feel as though there, there always is going to be a place for for live music, but yeah. I just wonder like what is the, I, a lot of, a lot of um, sort of retail spaces are changing and quite often, you know, you'll see a, a clothing shop with a hairdresser in it and, a, you know, it's sort of these multi-faceted yeah. kind of experiences. Yep. Yeah. You know, and then you see a lot of bars are kind of getting down to, to smaller kind of like little whiskey or gin bars. Yeah. And you, you've got, you know, like these smaller kind of back street way type, you know, yeah. which is sort of resonating kind of what's happening in Sydney and Melbourne. And mm -hmm. so I just, you know, I, I kind of wonder where, where does, what becomes the new formula, the new successful formula that, that yeah. kind of works for the person that's trying to promote music or, or or bring culture and music into into cans like what's the um yeah, the formula that's going to sort of work you know i, I think you really got to have something unique you know going on there you, you mentioned um you know like whiskey bars and things like that they, they've got something to hone in on that's quite unique in a sense i mean i, I ultimately i can't answer your question because it's it, it, it's hard to if I could answer that question, I'd probably be making a million bucks, <laughs> and, you know, flying mm. around the world or whatever, putting mm. on fire festivals, <laughs> uh, you know what yeah. I mean? But, um, uh, yeah, sorry, there the pups going off. Yeah, all good. Um, yeah, ultimately, that is a good question. Mm. I think the lay of the land at the moment, looking at Cairns, just things just feel disjointed. Like, once where you had all the clubs in the vicinity of a couple of um, blocks, you know, in the CBD and on any given night or weekend, you could walk around there, you, you get a variety of things to choose, you know, whether it be this type of hip hop or a live band or funk or whatever, you know, I mean, there's a variety. Now you sort of, you, you really got to look. Um, uh, the, again, like I said, the lay of the land, there's a few bars around it. It feels like they're all sort of trying to fight for the same clientele which mm. is stretching things a bit so mm. it, to me that sort of weakens things yeah it, it's mm. it's an interesting time I, I can't see the direction it's going in i've got to be honest with you i think that if anybody coming in uh, looking to do like a festival or something unique in itself they'll, they'll probably do all right out of it um, if it's a one-off or whatever but i think if you're looking to run a club or whatever you you, you just or a bar you really got to have something unique about it and you got to you got to push it and run with it and be consistent because so many times you see these bar managers or owners come in and they think they know what they're doing and then they open a club and then they they bang and for a couple of months they have consistency and then they go oh hang on thursday nights aren't working we'll change that to hip-hop uh tuesday nights aren't working we'll change that to I mean, then the the punter gets a bit confused as to what the venue's about and they might go in on a Friday night thinking, oh, we're going to go and check out some hip-hop. And they walk in, there's some weird techno thing going on. And they're just like, oh, this is not what I thought it was. And they not, might not go back. Or there's just no consistency there. And that's what a, a venue needs. And that's the way I view it. Because that's the frustrating thing I had as a promoter, dealing with venues that kept chopping and changing their minds, which was not helpful for somebody that was trying to create um, something that... Consistency. You know, yeah, that's mm. a good word for it, I think, at the mm. end of the day. Would you say is um, Salt House still a pretty consistent venue for music and yep. and like are you been DJing there yep. a bit still yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, been there oh, I've been playing there I think it's about 
five or six years, like consistently as a resident, I guess you could say, and they do a couple of nights a month there, which is cool because it's a bit of an outlet for me, but yeah, trying to um, help them, and I guess, like I say, consistency, and um, they've got their live element and they've got their DJ element and they don't really chop and change. So the only thing that would chop and change is the artist that you, the DJ that you're seeing play and they might have their own flavour, but that's fine. Um, as long as they're at a good level of um, quality and whatnot. Yeah, so. I think that space is kind of like that space that is what we were sort of talking about where it's kind of dining, mm. it's got a bar, but mm. it's kind of multifaceted. You know, yeah. you can sort of go and sit in one area and you, you can enjoy the DJ. Yep. You can go over and sit down with a group of friends and have some dinner. Yep. And it seems oh. to me like that is the future of kind of, of, of the way that people are going to sort of consume retail you know yeah. with the with the birth of the internet and, yeah. and being able to listen to music at home or, yeah. or even get uber eats or get yeah. shit takeaway yeah. i guess when people go out they kind of want to have an experience yeah. so per se you know so something that's even like McAllister's brewery i went out there on a thursday night last thursday night and it was comedy you know so yeah. you're going out there you're trying some locally brewed beers yeah. you know it's got a story but also you get to watch some people bomb, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and, you know, but that was cool too, you know. It's got like that, a bit of a experience behind it with a food truck and, you know, it seems to be a um, a bit of an experience, you know. Yeah, I, I, ultimately, I don't think, really think people go to Salt House Residence to, to hear music. You know, it's just part of it. Mm. You, you, like you say. Part of the experience. Yeah, mm. like, if anything, you're, you're there for the vibe and atmosphere. Yeah, and, um, yep. What comes with it is what comes with it you know mm. like people go there for a drink and yeah it's less about and... it's less about the name dj but mm. more about going for a food and catching up yeah. and having that the good ambience or the good vibe yeah. and mm. there's plenty of venues like that around town that's what i'm saying earlier i think there's quite a few and mm. and it's stretching things a bit so you know once sold house was you know packed is not so packed these days because they're spread there's out a to lot other of venues. yeah there's a lot of um new food sort of venues there mm. seems to be a lot popping up I guess there is um some big hotels also about yeah. to open as well, which may bring some more people and yeah, you know, uh, increase it, the numbers as well. It, it can be healthy in a sense because then, like, you, you might be sitting at home and go, "What do I do tonight?" At least I can go into town and I've got some options, you know, cruise around and have a look. Mm. But whereas back in the day, like, you know, if you're looking for a bar or that sort of thing, you you're sort of scratching around to find a nice bar like mm. South House or. You know these other ones that you mentioned and, mm. and whatnot. So in a sense, it's healthy, but at the same time, it, it it has changed the landscape because for me myself to be able to have the opportunity to play quality music, I've got to look for these venues. I can't rely on the clubs because the clubs are gone. They're commercial, whatever safe option. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is frustrating myself, but mind you, I'm I feel like I'm too old for that anyway. But yeah, uh, that's sort of behind me in a sense too. But still open to. Um, spreading, you know, playing tunes to people where, whenever it may suit, but it just work. It isn't what it once was. So. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the like I guess can be growing pains too for a mm. um for a city to go through changes and mm. and to sort of shift and and mm. sort of figure itself out, you know, and especially mm. like we were saying with with council and sort of them putting restrictions and and making things harder and making it liquor licensing yeah. can be very expensive for somebody to try and keep keep a place open you know yeah. so it really is about trying to trying to find something that kind of that works well it that sticks to its um it's its idea of you know quality yeah but also 
you know, it turns over a fucking dollar, make, well, make a couple bucks. It, it's easy for me to sit here and comment on um, club managers and owners and what they're doing and whatnot. But I, it'd I be a hard slog, man. Exactly. Yeah. Like, it, it, like little do I know in terms of what exactly they are going through. You know, to to turn over a dollar or whatever. So, yeah, I'm looking at it purely from an entertainment perspective and the way I view and what I would want out of a club. So are you still doing, like, are you still bringing acts in or I haven't. not at this stage? No, it's been a few years. Um, we, I am talking to a couple of guys about doing something. It's a bit loose at the moment, but this is purely out of um, observing that, you know, there, there ain't much going on. Do you think there's a need for it? to? Oh. And do you think that's part of it too, is maybe that, maybe since you've stepped back and, and guys like Cam Kennedy and... Mm guys that we're bringing in, artists, that maybe that's part of the, the reason why that, you know, maybe a lot of the music scenes died off because you were the, usually the guys really pushing it. Yeah. I mean, I remember, you know, back in my early 20s, you know, so talking 10 years ago, you guys were bringing in like Aussie hip-hop yeah. artists. Yeah. I'm not sure if you brought in like Muffin Plutonic yeah. and yeah. a lot of those Aussie, you know, obese guys yeah. and... um. Yeah. You know, smaller, smaller I remember seeing like, um, yeah, like Hilltop Hoods at Listen Brothers S, League's yeah. Club, all that stuff. Yeah. Listen, that's what I remember seeing at Tanks, yeah. um, even like Mixmaster Mike, I remember yeah. seeing at the Tanks, dude, yeah. and that shit was just incredible. <laughs> that was a great night. Um, and yeah, maybe that was like a, a, a period of time, but you know, mm. all that stuff was awesome. It brought mm. people out and maybe yeah. it is just, you know. Uh, look, mm. look, in saying that, like I understand where you're coming from i mean it does take promoters and whatnot around town to to, to push that agenda um, and do you think there is the promoters out there doing that as well and as, is it to do with the money not being there or is it or is it to do with they're actually maybe the promoters have sort of just been chilling you know a bit or i think promoters are chilling i mean mm. speaking on behalf of cameron and myself because you guys were really the the backbone of a lot yeah. of those quality good musicians coming to town for for mm. a very long time I think we pushed it mm. as far as we could. Mm. Like I, again, like I said, I sort of noticed the the back, not the backlash, the the support sort of dropping off. Well, um, like sorry, just to t take a step back too. So when you first came here, um, like it was the un like woolshed as well. It was yeah. underground woolshed, and yeah. it was which um, was the basement. Back the basement. Day. So yeah. basement's not even there anymore, is it? No. It's like a, they turned that into like a eatery or a restaurant or something. I don't know. Below really, Woolshed now. I'm not even really sure what it is. I think, it, 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 I think I know it's you like can a eat. little bar type thing. Yeah. And they've got like, you know, dudes in there just sort of, you know, like solo musicians type thing and they're yeah. singing and shit. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess, you know, it's constantly changing. It's evolving, know? like you say. Mm. And, and there's other venues around town. And that's mm. the thing too, like liquor licenses. You see, every time you see a bar or a club shut down, you just think, oh, shit, because there goes a liquor license, you know, and, and another opportunity so to speak uh, or avenue to do something because you never sort of you I mean you can look at like a, a strip club for instance you, you look at that you go I, I know I, I can do something there you know whether it be an act or whatever I, I can utilize that venue or uh, a little dinky bar or whatever or a big bugger off club room you know you, you can see ways of opportunity of, of who you could get in and what exactly. act you could fill that room exactly and then yeah, as and a then, promoter you can sort of see the opportunity of those spaces yeah and yeah. when they're closing down it's like well fuck it, you're limiting the, yeah. the opportunities then so, so i guess that was my question that i was kind of leading to is like mm -hmm. where is those spaces now that you can like with green ink closing down and mm -hmm. 
all these places like where, where are, are those spaces still available for you to sort of be able to create those yeah, opportunities I, I do believe so i mean again like i said it's been five years whereabouts as i've really like honed in on it um there are other people around that could probably answer that better for you but my understanding don't get me wrong i'm still sort of aware of a few things but yeah so that was my probably the next question i was going to lead to is do you still get the email from you know, this artist is available, that artist is available, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I get you, a few. You're still getting the link. Yeah, I get a few. <laughs> yeah. um, not as many as I used to, obviously, because mm. once you sort of back off, a few, mm. few of the uh, managers and, and um, you, you get them, removed off the email list. Yeah, <laughs> you, they, they get sick of you saying no, I guess, mm. Um, mm. or ignoring them. It used to be like a daily thing where mm. I'd have multiple emails coming through now, probably one every couple of weeks but mm. yeah and I, I think that's only stemming from me just still being on a mailing list but yeah but i still see things um, getting pushed through and, and whatnot and you know they, it's hard to know whether um uh, there are as many sort of tour managers and agents as there once was and you know pushing these guys uh because there used to be a lot of them it was really quite sort of hard to handle in a sense and that's why you saw a lot of shows is a lot of them are coming through you want to say yes to you know mm. and you want to keep that co that quality music rolling yeah mm. um and sometimes you can like flood your own market or inundate your market yeah. instead of hitting it with like maybe one good act a month or something yeah. like that that, you know, that was always you're the, going back um, to back sometimes and that was the always the thing i guess cameron and myself to an extent and other promoters i've been uh, working with in the past was the balance like you say and and you also don't want to be clashing with other promoters as to what they're doing because you don't want to be detrimental to the, to the, the scene. scene. Mm. Um, and, and this was something that was an issue locally um, going back 15, 20 years ago. And there was even forums held to try and maintain um, it. Yeah. And I guess um, that's why I'm asking you these questions because if there is any sort of aspiring DJs, musicians, somebody's looking to promote music, mm. and even myself, I mean, like we were just talking about being on the sunny coast and. Yep wanting to maybe link up and say, hey, you've got this artist coming through. There's some cool venues on the coast, but I feel like there is a hole in some of like, you know, the quality music that we're talking about um, in terms of producers and um, DJs where it'd be rad to get them in, you know? And it's yeah. like, man, they, this, this artist is doing an East Coast tour. Yeah. But as you know, like a lot of these, you know, musicians from the US, from say Detroit or whatever, San Fran, where, wherever they're from, Brooklyn, yeah. they might be dropping into Brizzy, they might be dropping into like Sydney, Melbourne, and you know that's their East Coast tour. Mm. Where it's like, why isn't there you know a better opportunity for for a, for a touring artist to be able to maybe drop into a couple more locations? I mean, Cairns has got an international airport. Yeah. Um. You know, Brizzy's an international location. Yeah. So you know, how yeah. do you create that? How do you create that like that um that opportunity to be able to get some decent music moving through your um well, it, it, through your neighbourhood. The, the hurdle there was whenever an artist was coming from overseas, particularly, not so much um, Australian artists, but international, first and foremost, they want to play in Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth, whatever, the major cities. And then that's what their agent and promoter is working on. And then second to that is if there's spare nights, where can we get them regionally? You know? And so in terms of being Cairns, obviously we're regional. We're not the priority for the artists or the artist managers because obviously they make more money and they're playing bigger population, bigger clubs, etc. So we're always sort of second to that. So we always have to wait to see how the tour will pan out in terms of 
and so, you would, and you'd probably pick up the shitty nights too. Yeah. So it'd be like a fucking Wednesday night yeah. or something. Well, for instance, Stanton Warriors we did on a Wednesday or a Tuesday or whatever. It I was. remember Crafty Cuts was the same at Gilligan's back yeah. in the day. It was like a Tuesday night or something. Yeah. So the Black Keys at Jono's Blue Bar. Blues Bar was like a Monday night back yeah. in the day. And so you sort mm, of you, you mm. sort of uh, it's almost like. You got to pick the skeleton a little bit yeah, sometimes with the bigger artists. They're dangling the carrot in front of you, and then you know you're, you're trying to grab it, and then they're sort of pulling it away from you because <laughs> you're sort of being dictated to by what the metro tour is panning out for the artist. Mm. And then, like you say, you know, you're trying to pick up the pieces in a sense, and then it's got to work for you. It's got mm. to work for the venue. Mm. So there's a few hurdles there, and then on top of that, uh, like I said, you don't want to be clashing with other promoters, and that more often than not, you are booking an act six months out and you look at a calendar and go, well, what's happening in Cairns on that night? And you can't tell. You uh, nothing. And then all of a sudden mm, something comes online. Exactly. And, mm. You you go ahead, you sign the agreement, the contract, whatever, you even pay a deposit or whatever the terms are and you're in, you, you are, you're doing the night. You, you can't really back out of it from there because you're financially involved, blah, blah, blah. You've got an agreement in place. And so as a promoter, you're the one taking all the risk too. You are. So you are. it's not the club that's, you know, if shit doesn't go right, they they kind of just go, well, we didn't make money on the bar. But that, and they might burn you because they, they think they put it on you for not filling the venue. Mm. But you, little do they know there's something clashing with it or there might mm. even be multiple events. Yeah, that so weekend. it's a very complex um, mm. thing. It's not just like the idea of, hey, I'd love to see this yeah. awesome artist come to my town. Yeah. It's a it's a very sort of complex... Um, yeah, there's a bit of work that goes into yeah. it in, in terms of behind the scenes and... and Literally from the moment that you get that email or that phone call saying, hey, look, we've got such and such, are you interested? You know, from that point to the point of actually signing the agreement can take weeks. And then from that point, you've got months to promote it. But you don't you don't go hard promoting it from the day you, because you, you're six months out, people forget, whatever. But you, you go hard sort of like the last month or two or whatever, depending on the event and the environment of it, whatever. So there's a bit that goes with it. Like you said, it's, it's the risk. That's involved. There's just so many elements that come into play, and then you, you know sometimes bigger the artist, bigger the risk. Oh, sometimes because the time. bigger the outlay, and also yeah. I guess my other question that I got in terms of promoting is um when when you do promote, do you then have to organise accommodation, yep. flights? Um, how does that kind of normally pan out with your agreement? Does that normally yeah. fall on you to yeah. arrange that stuff as well? Majority of the time, yes. Some there's been a few occasions where you book a, a, an act and that's included in the price, so to speak. So then those headaches are, are not your headaches because they are headaches. You know, in terms of organising flights that suit because they're coming from a obviously they're playing a gig the night before and then they're coming to you. So the, the timing for the artist. Can be a pretty tight schedule. Yeah, and then you got like sound checks and things that you. So, what about your audio as well? Is that something that you normally have to supply as well? Is like your um, you know, sound, sound speakers, mics, all that sort of shit. Generally, as well, yeah, yeah, depending again on the act and Mm. and what they require. But yeah, there is that side of it. So there's a lot that goes with it, and then even staff for that matter for promo promo staff through to door staff. Um, so you pro- so provide security and that sort of thing sometimes or depending on the, the, the venue, more so like taking tickets and that sort of stuff. And yeah. Mm. yeah. When you do, like we used to do a few parties at AJ Hackett's and 
places like that you know outdoor venues yeah they were fun like. too man yeah remember the old white parties and yeah, yeah. that sort of stuff at oh, aj's yeah. i love that venue mm. um, it's an epic venue man oh dude mm. oh, it's as good as it gets mm. like, to my mind mm. considering where we live here mm. uh and you can have the indoor outdoor sort of feel of it as well but mm. um yeah you got security and then you know infrastructure stuff like staging and uh, fencing and Elevatus, I think that was even, the first one I ever went to. Yeah. When I was just out of school and it was called Elevatus. <laughs> even like toilets and um, mm. things like food, for instance, you know, you don't think of these things, but you got to think of these things. Well, obviously the bar's sorted, but yeah, there's, there's a lot that goes with it. So yeah, like you say, there's a risk, that's mm. for sure. It ain't as simple as just knocking up a poster and a post on Facebook and saying, hey, here I am, rock up. It ain't that simple. Well, it wasn't that simple. I don't know if it's that simple these days. I haven't tried. Mm. <laughs> yeah. The social media side, that's something that is interesting in itself because uh, Facebook was a thing at, towards the end there of putting on shows. And I remember you used to be able to put out a, a Facebook event um, back in the start of it being popular. And, you know, you say you invite a thousand people, you'd actually get 999 responses back mm. in the day yep. now you put out a thousand invites you might get a handful you know mm. as oh, to I, might they... go, I may i may not yeah, i'll see yeah. how i'm feeling the night see what the weather's you, doing and... you, you actually mm. got a good feeling as to what was going on with an event but now yep. you I, I can see that you don't get that mm. so mm. social media in a sense is um, yeah even i think even that lauren hill and um like mm. that event the nas and lauren hill which is huge mm. and even yeah i think it might have only been i know there was a lot of people there but mm. A lot of people don't say whether they're going or not. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's I, like, I, I wouldn't have looked at that myself. You know? Yeah, yeah. It, it's, yeah. So it's, it is different. Like where you said, people were sort of committed to that, and now yeah. it's like they're a lot more casual about it. Yeah, so, yeah. Mm. No doubt. I remember. I don't know for how long, but you used to be able to get a good feel from what social media response was as to whether people were going to turn up. But mm. now, like I said, that doesn't mean boo. So mm. anyway. Another element to it. I do I do love that um the new Munro Martin since I've been away and sort of yep. come back that yep. Munro Martin Park venue just looks epic. Yep. It's probably a super expensive venue, but geez, like they've done yep. a good job on that. It seems yep. like a really nice yeah sort of state of the art, like just a beautiful venue. Yeah, and I mean, they probably do all their own promotions and that sort of thing yeah, internally. It's, it's but more a council thing that one. Yeah, yeah. but uh, definitely as a artist point of view, mm. like you can seems like a good spot where you could do like a cool little sort of mini fezzy like a. Yep sort of one day kind of get three or four artists type yeah. scenario potentially and yeah. be able to get a thousand people in there or something and have a good day. There, there would have been a day there where I would have been driven to do that <laughs> for you, but yeah. now it's just yeah. like, oh, somebody else will do it. Yeah. But um, uh, look, looking at it as a venue, yeah, I, I like it too. Mm. I haven't actually seen a show there. To yeah, be no, yeah. we haven't either, but it's been pissing down rain for <laughs> bloody the last few months. So yeah. yeah, good luck to anyone trying to put on a show at the moment. But as an artist mm. point of view, like, I think any band or whatever playing on that stage would be like, this is cool. It'd know? be right, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you could see like a good performer, mm. a good artist, you mm. know, would be able to pull a crowd there. And, mm. you know, if, if they've got it set up properly, um, mm. you've got a good venue, then, you know, it makes everything else easier, you yeah. know, on top of it, that it's already fenced, that it's already got, you know, thoroughfares and, mm. you know, definitely sort of set up for, for live music, you know. Better than Fogarty. Mm -hmm. you know in that sense mm -hmm. um Fogarty was cool though i mean i was involved with a few um parties there saturday in the park some time out concerts yeah there, um, there was some rad time out concerts too yeah um, back in the day mm -hmm. um that i recall that were 
super fun, but mm. yeah, they had to probably you know do all the temporary fencing mm. and mm. you know bring in all the, the toilets and all that sort of stuff. And I think the, I think the best one there. I remember DJing actually on the lagoon. They incorporated the lagoon into it, so it was yeah, not I remember just, that one. Yeah, not just Fogarty Park. I think itself. I was like swimming in the lagoon, uh, was, listening to beats, and it was, it was epic. There was plenty of that going on. Yeah. It was cool, but it was just a it was just a unique, different sort of thing, you know, in comparison to other timeouts. Or um, they only did it the one year, uh, or other events that I've been involved with there. And yeah, I mean Fogarty Park was cool, but then you, Monroe Martin came along because it remember being quite surreal being involved with events there DJing and you're thinking where am I here you know and then looking back at it you know mm. yeah Monroe Martin Park definitely I believe they're doing some more work for it or something yeah I heard yeah. they're putting in something more at the back or something I think mm. maybe like um for the artists to be able to come in okay. and I think that's what I heard I'm not 100% but I think they were doing something in the back to like a some like a some sort of a, um dressing room type yeah. place where the the artist can sort of hang out before the okay. gig or something like that. So I guess the other thing is, you know, Cairns being high rainfall that, you know, it's obviously an open venue, so you'd be taking a bit of risk doing it mm. throughout the wet season, I oh, guess. No. So. Uh, again, the uh, party we did up at AJ Hackett, the big one too. We had like infected mushroom. Um, Yolanda Be Cool, Minilog. Uh, I think it was a couple other artists. I can't remember. It was a pretty special pretty event. Big, yeah. yeah, and we had a couple of areas going. We had the main stage and then the the bar stage and the main stage was more the bigger, you know, infected mushroom and the bigger techie sort of vibe going on up there and downstairs was the funky housey sort of thing. Anyway, um, great party, great lineup, uh, really good build up to it and we sold a lot of tickets and it got to the point where we were pretty much were breaking even um, with the tickets sold. We thought, all right, because usually the tickets, with tickets that you sell on an event like this, you would usually look at it as a ticket sold as being about a third of the crowd. So you, you expect double, triple of what you've sold to rock up on the night. As it turned out on this particular um, party, uh, the day came around and it was bucketing. But I've got to say, every time that infected mushroom come to Cairns, mm. yeah. I remember like any time that they've yeah. ever come, dude, it's just uh, always just fucking bucketed down. This, this was painful, mate, because... This is really painful mm. because, uh, you know, looking at it on a business perspective side of things, um, yeah, making money and all that, this was harsh because it was raining hard all day. Came to the night and still raining, bucketing down, and nobody was rocking up because of the rain. Right? So even people that had bought tickets or no, no. People that bought tickets mm. were showing up. Mm. So it was still a good crowd, don't mm. get me wrong. It was actually a really good crowd, but... Mm. Um, Rain's pouring down and all that, but we got bugger all sales on yeah, the door. Yeah, you, you missed the, the you missed like the the, the cream, the so good cream. Yeah, we still didn't quite break even, mm. right? Because we we were literally like in the hundreds of dollars to get to the point of breaking oh, even. Shit, and then on the night we were kind of like, oh, come on!" But it didn't sort of pan out. And as it turned out, like you say, usually infected come on and it's bucketing down with rain, but it was raining that hard. Infected came on at about one o'clock in the morning. It stopped raining. It's and actually, the clouds opened up. You could see the moon and the stars. And it was like, this is like an oxymoron. Sort of, what's the what's going on here? Like, we've been punished. Uh, anyway, in saying that, it was still a great party. Mm. Don't get me wrong. But, um, yeah, you know, there's, you, there's like that, you're talking about all that time and effort yeah, and the risk. Talking to bloody agents and mm. getting artists in and all yeah. of that groundwork. Yep. And then you break even. It's like, that must be, you know, incredibly heartbreaking and disheartening, you know. Yeah, it's more disheartening because of the potential mm. of what it could have been, you mm. know. Like, that could have been, I mean, it was still, like I said, a great party, but 
he knew it had more to it, mm. you know. Um, and that's the risk that you take, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, in those open air events, you're booking them at certain times of year, and sometimes you that you just that's just out of your control. Yeah. Like that's one of the things. I can't remember what time of year that was, but I, 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 I we we never really with outdoor events. We always were try to play it as safe as possible. You know, like you know. In terms of weather and whatnot, mm. so we wouldn't have been dumb enough to yeah, yeah, be booking, yeah. you know, middle mm. of um, um, wet season. Mm. But but Cairns is an yeah. epic. It does have some epic, like Karanda Amphitheatre mm. is yeah. just an unreal open air yeah. um, location. It's an unreal venue now. This Munro Martin Park mm. is um, seems like it's really nice, and then also um, like AJ Hackett, obviously. Yep, yep. I mean, it's just. And you know yourself, like a lot of those outdoor sort of bush events, like the old infected mushrooms, yeah. like in the middle of rainforest and shit like that. Like mm. just, it is such a beautiful place to have yeah. outdoor yeah. events because of the rainforest and mm. just the beautiful environment that we have. And that's why big acts like that keep coming back mm. because they it, it is. It's got a, just such yeah. a great vibe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and sure. you know, infected, they play great events around the world. Don't get mm. me wrong, like. Uh, like Cairns is not above and beyond every, everywhere else in that sense, but they keep coming back because mm. they can see it. Because they love it. Yeah. They appreciate yeah. it. So, yeah. yeah. And hopefully they'll get a, a dry event because yeah, yeah. I just remember every yeah. time they came, yeah. it was the same. And it'd just be hammering yeah. down and Going everyone would be stomping around in the mud. And, yeah. you know. But I think that was part of it in a sense for, for many of those that are into it. And it's quite, again, it makes it a unique sort of party because if it was mm. all sunshine and well not well, it's sunshining at night but you mm. know what i mean if it was all too easy and yeah and it's all part of it hey part mm. of the adventure and, and i've heard of yeah, many of these outdoor brooks including some infected shows where people have been literally flooded in you know they have to stay where they are and, until things subside so thanks for an even longer weekend for some but, mm. yeah that's that's where we live so Cool, mate. And so, I guess just while we're still on the subject of like promoting, what would you say were some of your favourite sort of acts that you, you brought in that you reckon that kind of surprised you? Or you just thought, oh, you know, this will be cool, and ended up sort of mm. blowing you out a little bit, or, or having yeah. an epic time. That's a good. Uh, that's a question. I, I think I need to think about. But uh, I, I guess the ones that sort of the artists, the acts that I love the most, you know that. You know, I've meant, I don't know if I mentioned in the podcast. No, yet, I mentioned it in just before the podcast. Yeah, uh, Claude Von Stroke, definitely um, somebody that I've, I just love his tunes. I can't put my finger on it for you, but he's somebody that I was, you know, listening to and playing music and observing from afar uh, for some time and obviously supporting his label through my shop, Dirty Bird. I just love selling his stuff because of the quirkiness of it and the funk too. But bringing somebody like him was... It didn't bother me so much in a business sense, again, about the money. It was just more about here he is, presenting him to Cairns, again, educating those that may not have heard of him that rock along in the night. And there was a lot that did rock up and you just thought, what the hell is this all about? I'm loving it. So artists like that, and obviously when you meet them and, and the character goes with what you sort of think and hope in that they're inspiring people and um, very humble as well, approachable and... You know, we had dinner with Claude that night um, around at Cameron's house with a few mates and he, he was like he was part of the crew, you know, and, and it was just great, you know, somebody that you put on a pedestal in a sense, but you don't really need to. They're just like you and me and, and whatnot. And the funny thing was sitting there talking to Claude that night and I brought up my son, uh, Jasper, and Claude's like, oh, 
I've just had a boy myself, and I called him Jasper. I didn't. I don't know. I've never met anybody that has a boy called Jasper. And it was, you know, just having that sort of connection to somebody that you admire and all that. And that was just another tangent of discussion that we'd have, and in a sense, a bond too, I guess. So that was cool. But outside of that, um, a lot of those O's base artists that you mentioned, because hip hop's very much uh, um, where I started with underground music and DJing and that, and to be able to support these guys that you know are having a crack at it and you know, trying to spread their wings and do their utmost to um, have some fun with it at the same time and to be able to bring them up here and share them with everybody else um, and through the shop as well, selling their music you know, was, was cool. Hilltop Hoods I grew up with in Adelaide and, you know, from seeing them start out in little pubs and whatnot down south and playing to me and the crew, you know, there'd be 20, 30 of us or whatever and then seeing them build into what they were and then be able to support them through selling their music and exposing them and this was even before Triple J sort of jumped on them and um, they became commercial and, and whatnot. And, um, yeah, I remember meeting um, Suffer. It was at like one of those sat down in the park or something like that. Yeah, and yeah. He was just there yeah. as, a, as a viewer. Yeah, he was a punter. Yeah, he was, yeah, he was yeah. happy. Cause I saw him in the beer tent and I'm like, yeah. hey, dude, rah, rah. Yeah. I had the funniest conversation. He's another dude that's super humble and yeah. just down to earth. But yeah. um, he's a good bloke. I remember saying to him, because we used to go like, we used to go wakeboarding in the inlet, you know, yeah. and. Um, it's like, you know, there's whatever, there's crocodiles or, or whatever because it's an estuary. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, Suffer, do you want to come wakeboarding with us yeah. tomorrow? I said, all my mates are all, um, yeah. they're all fucking scared because there was an article in the paper about there being bull sharks in the, um, yeah. in the inlet. Yeah. And he's like, oh, man, you know, I would, but I'm flying out tomorrow. Sorry, yeah. bro. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, fuck the Murdoch press, man. It's <laughs> like, first thing I do when I go to hell is punch Rudolph Murdoch square in the face, he reckons. Yeah, I just thought, man, that was so funny, man. He's a witty dude and super humble and had the time to have a yarn with me and we'd yeah. be shooting the shit. Well, again, good dude, man. You know, yeah. good artist. Yeah, and, and mm. you know, growing up with them, I, I, I see where they come from, you know what I mean? And there's no reason for them not to be any other way, you know. They've, they've done well considering how big they are. You know, they've managed to stay, stay grounded and connected too because even today, like I've, I've bumped into Matt uh, Suffer, you know, a handful of occasions over the last 20 years. Still, we still talk to each other and all that, but we still stay connected via social media and whatnot, you know, like little banter here and there and whatnot. And that's, to me, that shows how grounded they are, you mm. know, at the end of the day. They haven't forgotten mm. about those people from back in the day, which were, I would be one of, mm. one of many too. Mm. Um, but yeah, so other artists, I guess. Um, it's hard to um, uh, Paul Van Dyke was pretty big at the time that we brought him to Cairns. He was the number one DJ in the world, so to be able to sort of make that happen was pretty special for Cairns. You know, um, you won't see that very often in a regional town. A big DJ like that come here. So, and that a lot came with that as well. We it turned out to be a festival, and we had to sort of build around him in terms of other acts and that because Paul Van Dyke big internationally but not necessarily within Cairns because mm. he's known so you have to sort of get other artists and we've got other national artists even a couple other international artists involved with that event just to make it substantial enough for people to say hey look this is special mm. that was pretty big uh, that was a Farlow Park look my main, my memory's a bit foggy I'm sorry because there's been a lot um, <laughs> but you know they, they sort mm. of stick out I mean you could sit here all day and talk about yeah, man. Inst other um, instances yeah. I guess um, also too as a promoter it's a little bit different like 
as myself just showing up to a Bliss and Esso gig and, mm. you know, slugging a bloody gut full of beers and jumping mm. around like an idiot. Yeah. Whereas you're you're on the other side of the of the um, experience where you know you're organising everything, you're trying yeah. to make sure the audio is running smooth, yeah. and there's probably a lot of you know tense tenseness and, and sort of stress that comes with like yeah, yeah. promoting a gig and hoping everything runs right and yeah. you sell the right number of tickets. And yeah. So yeah. That, there's that aspect of it as well where the experience is slightly different to being yeah. the consumer of the um of the of the art, and I'm sure like when I'm so, caught up with you down at you know lauren hill or nas you know mm. you can just go down there and just enjoy it yeah. and actually just enjoy the music you it's know it's nice to be mm. able to do that and, yeah. and this and essay is a good example because we did um then cameron and i did them at our soho um which is a nightclub which is not look we didn't anticipate it but it was bigger than we anticipated in terms of people rocking up to the point of uh it became an issue and a worrying issue because we weren't in control of security of that night and we were too sort of busy focusing on other elements of the night that too many people were in the club and it got to a point where um, we couldn't kick people out but we wanted to because to limit the numbers because mm -hmm. it was so packed and mm -hmm. so it was off its head mm -hmm. like it was out of control mm -hmm. and there was word about liquor licensing coming to the venue and we got wind of that and we were shitting ourselves because although ultimately it wouldn't come sort of down the other end us, of the spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> the, the other end of the problems of being yeah. a promoter. <laughs> but the, the funny thing was, was it it's was too more successful. The, yeah. It was more the venue's issue than mm. ours, but mm. the venue was looking at us going, mm. hey, hey guys, yeah, mm. so we've, got, we've got an issue. We've got a problem because mm. they get fined and all that sort of stuff. But as it turned out, they didn't rock up. So mm. we were quite thankful, mm. but yeah, but that was a good night too. Mm, yeah, that was, it. it was like literally people hanging off the rafters. Yeah. You know, it was out of control. But yeah, you don't anticipate some of those things. If we anticipated that, we would have gone to a bigger venue. Mm. So yeah, it was just that that, 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 that that point where like Bliss and Esso had been here a couple of times prior, but it was from the moment that we sort of booked it and organised it. I think they blew up monumentally. Yeah, they, and they did. They sort of blew up over a short period of time because I remember yeah. seeing them at the tanks. Not long before that, and mm. it was just a pretty chill crowd. It wasn't yep. a huge crowd, and they dropped their that new album, mm. whatever it was, the one that sort of blew them up. And then all of a sudden, it was they were like yeah. huge on Triple J, and like they were sort of pumping. Well, there's another mm. um, side of it too, where uh, you get offered artists, and and being someone in my position, that you know, you would have heard of Trent Moller, uh, techno underground techno Trent Moller. He was pretty big. Going, see here, this is the situation. Like, this is going back 10 or 15 years ago. Mm. I was DJing his music, so I was all over it. And I was playing, like, particularly outdoor dukes and whatnot, this brand of tech house that nobody had heard this guy was producing, and everyone was loving it. And so I'm spreading this, and all these DJs and that have got Trent Moller, Trent Moller, you know, stemming from that. And I was selling his stuff all the time, like you wouldn't believe, and got off with him. And, um, Remember, it was like, oh, you know, in six months' time, you're going to have him, and you know, it'll be, it'll be this much. Which I remember, if I remember rightly, it was like a thousand bucks, which was nothing much for an international back then, although you got flights and ACOM on top of it and all that. So, I got offered him, and I was sort of considering it because I, I was loving it, mm. and loving his stuff, but I just knew that the general punter didn't know who he yeah, was. Yeah, there's always that risk of yeah. even though you love that quality music. Yep. Once you, once you become the promoter and you get to more of a knowledge of like your local scene, mm. 
how yeah what what's the line between what you yeah. love and what the, the well, punter that, loves and with awareness by, you know yeah, and how, how do you yeah. how do you sell this to mm. get the people through the door and then and I was like oh and I remember thinking about having it at the basement because I thought that's the type of venue that would suit him in mm. terms of the mood of it the mm. vibe but also I thought you know um, capacity wise it would probably be a, about right to feel in terms of people knowledge of him and whatnot. Yeah, that was an easy location to be able to, to yeah. max it out yeah cover, so cover your costs and not take take on too much risk I, I wanted to do it in the end I said no and and I you know, I kicked myself now because in that period I said no to the time that he would have been in Cairns he just went Shit bang blew up, yeah. blew up he was playing at festivals mm. he was just everywhere he was remixing big tracks that people were into and, and whatnot and you just look back and go damn I missed that boat you know yeah, and yeah. there'll be mm. other stories like that but mm. that's just an example for you where mm. Biss and Esso was one scale and then you got Trent Moller here where you think and it would have been the same when right. you when you kind of scale that into a um festival I always felt like laneway was so good at that mm. Mm. I remember like um always going to a laneway festival mm. and they've sort of booking people so whoever was the booking guy was like yep these guys are going to be big yep. you know and they always were they, they'd always be booking mm. and then Triple J's Hottest 100 had come out mm. and then Laneway would be on and like the, it'd just be always gangbusters you know mm. Um, and, and, and where they'd sort of be able to pick these artists a little bit earlier on yep. and kind of almost have the crystal ball and know that yep. like okay like all these artists are, are going to be sort of blowing up and quite often they were you know yeah. and I just remember that year after year and just thinking wow yep. those guys are they've got that capacity to be able to just pick their artists yep. right and, 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 and mm, someone like seeing Sammy Brown at Laneway and just going oh yep. like whatever you know and then all of a sudden yeah like he's just getting bigger and bigger and mm. bigger and you know there's so many artists that were like that yeah you know? i wholeheartedly agree and mm. being a promoter i was looking at that too you mm. know like i'd be watching mm. the release of who was coming out and whatnot mm. more often than not uh, people from laneway and other festivals around australia were actually contacting myself or cameron or even other local promoters i'm sure they'd be looking to tour yeah mm. you know like sideshows uh, for these festivals and tours and but I, I would always be watching them and they I guess we're watching me too and, and uh, yeah so you would try and feed off that and you would keep your eye on that like mm. you say uh, Triple J are good at that I know Groove in the Mill sort of do similar things you know mm. we try to be in the forefront mm. or the front front foot mm. and picking what's sort of coming next mm. um, so yeah you really as a promoter you should be like you say you, you look at that sort of side of things too and try and try and pick up the loose scraps of yeah, 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 yeah. Like festivals and other acts sort of coming to town, mm. and mm. you know, almost trying to promote the notion that Cairns is such a unique place to come as yeah. a tourist or as an artist. So it's like, yeah. hey, bring your bring your artist here. We, we can like get them out on a, a reef trip, yeah. and, and you know, get them involved in that, and yeah. then they can come to a gig, and then they can fly out to Japan or Asia or to wherever they're going to go yeah. after that, you know? Yeah, that, that was, that was a always, selling point there. Yeah, exactly. Mm. That was a selling point mm. uh, in terms of the experience of them coming to Cairns for mm. Tropics. It, it, a bit totally, of a holiday, like a working holiday almost. Yeah, yeah. big, big mm. time, um, no doubt. And, and different to going to, a, you know, like a Melbourne or a Sydney where, I mean, don't get me wrong, those cities got something to offer outside mm. of just walking to a nightclub and playing. But A, lo a lot of people come mm. here internationally purely because of the, the tourism and the reef and yep. the rainforest and the daintry and da da da, da. Yep. waterfalls and there's just I mean yeah. Kansas is a beautiful place you yeah. know yeah I met I met a couple mm. of promoters I remember there was uh, 
uh, earth dance, not promoters, sorry, agents. Um, there was an earth dance over at Fitzroy Island, and I was over there playing, being involved with it, and I met a couple of the um, agents, managers of the artists. Freak Nasty's agent um, was there. I remember her specifically because I ended up doing some business with her where I was just sitting there at a cabin. We were just hanging out. There was probably 10 of us or whatever, and we were just sort of chatting, and me and her, I can't remember. Sorry, it was years ago, but we were just talking and she was saying, oh, look, I've got this artist, I've got this artist, I've got this artist, and I'm looking at bringing him to Australia, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, why don't we bring him here? You know mm. what I'm saying? Mm. And she's sitting there going, I can see why this sort of experience for a certain artist that mm. she knew pretty well would work for them. And we actually ended up booking artists through her mm. because of that side of it. And those artists would come here. Stan Laurie's we got through as well. Um, Judge Jules, um, God, there's a few. And they would come to Cairns and they they, they really didn't know much about it. Um, they come here, play, they spend a day or two, they see a little bit and they, they actually are curious to see more and we would actually sell it to them, obviously. Mm. They're here, we explain to them, you know, we've got the reef, the rainforest, we do this, do that. Yeah. They want to come back. Mm. So then it, it sort of makes it easier for that next time mm. that comes around. Yeah, yeah, they'll come. They want to come and see or play or whatever. Mm. Uh, and Crafty Cuts is a good example of that. He kept coming back. He yeah, he, he sort of po- he came to mind as well. He sort of popped in mm. anytime he's touring and yep. he's probably not making the bank that he's making down in Brizzy or whatever, but probably yep. just enjoys coming here because yeah. of the environment, yeah, you know. It's a beautiful place, on. yeah. So, yeah, that, that was uh, always something you had in your ammo, so to speak, in terms of talking to these agents and managers and that to sell the experience. I mean, obviously, it's a gig that you're trying to get in here, but you want to make money out of that. But, mm. uh, yeah, um, that side of things. It, it, we live in a beautiful place. Yeah, so, man, it is. Cairns is beautiful. And, mm. like, we've been away. For, I've been away for quite a while, but I've been here for, like, the last three or four months. And it's just nice. It's a yeah. beautiful place to come back to, you know. Yeah. It is a, a, you know, and I guess you can take it for granted, I guess, just living here. But even where you are out here in the Redlands Valley, man, yeah, yeah. you've got a beautiful creek running just down yeah. the road. You've got beautiful waterfalls. Yeah. Great place to sort of raise your kids. Yeah. And, you know, no it, there is, it, it has got a sort of lot of good things going for it. Mm. So cool, man. Well, after having this big chat, like, mm. I really hope to, to hear that you're, you're back sort of promoting some gigs and getting <laughs> some awesome artists back and bringing that quality back to Cairns, man. Time will tell. Time will tell. I mean, it, mm. I don't have the fire in my belly that, that I once had. But, yeah. Um, I think you've got the wisdom, though, and the knowledge. And it's so mm. cool to sit down and have this conversation mm. because you, you're imparting this knowledge. Um, and anyone, like I said, who is looking to to um, maybe engage in this, um, you've you got that wisdom, you've got that knowledge and you can sort of impart that and share that yeah. to any other promoters or any other people. And I, mm. if I was a promoter and I was looking to do something in Cairns, mm. you know, I'd be fucking on the phone to you getting some <laughs> consultancy information because, as you know, like, mm. if, you're, if you're just getting into the scene, there's a lot of things that you probably overlook, you know. Mm. So once mm. you, you know, if you're writing up that business plan and you're looking to get the ball rolling then um you know well i've, I've mm. seen many like plenty of uh people that are you know going to be promoters or whatever you know want to put on an event or whatever and they've come in and they put one or two shows on and then they fade away you know what i mean it it it, it ain't as easy as it may appear um you've certainly got to have your heart in the right place you really got to love it because like mm. you said you can you can take a loss and that must be just that can be so disheartening but mm. you really got to 
mm. have that love and that passion to keep that ball rolling. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. you win and sometimes you lose, you know. Well, I'd like to say that for the majority we won, thankfully. Mm. Um, things clicked for us quite a bit. But I, I, I put that down to timing a bit in terms of where things were at with nightclubbing and the scene and, and you know, introducing, you know, again, like the obese artists, you know, that was fresh. Yeah, you know, man, for, for sure. And, mm. um, so timing was a big thing. We, we were lucky in a sense. Um, you got to obviously have a bit of a head on your shoulders in terms of um, um, working with, uh, for one, the venues, but secondly, uh, managing an agent of artists. It's, I wouldn't say it's gameplay, but you got to have a bit of, some mouse about you, I guess, but that comes with experience um, and being able to negotiate and that sort of thing yeah. as well. Trying to yeah. negotiate deals with your with your club, with your yeah. artists, and yeah. be able to put the business hat on. Yeah, because like you said, I mean, it's easy to, to get carried away and oh, you know, like Claude run strokes in town. Yeah, love this artist, you know. Then you got to put the business cap on and you know yeah. negotiate a deal on that as well. Yeah, so play the game. So mm-hmm. and, and you know, don't get me wrong, nothing's. A, that straightforward out there, you know, you've dealt with venues where they, they throw curveballs at you on the night, you know, and you've got to have a bit of a thick skin about you to sort of see it through and um, stand your ground and, and whatnot. So you, you learn from that and that's where over time, like I sort of took care of this when I was working with Cameron with the agreements and contracts and stuff to make sure everything was sort of ironclad so that we didn't face those sort of things. But you, like I said, you pick that up with experience because, you know, it's like anything, you know, you just, some days you wake up and you don't know what's going to happen and things happen, you know. And, and yeah, along the way things will happen too and you go, okay, well, next time we're going to incorporate that into the contract yeah. or yeah, that, things that you didn't expect and uh, it's, that's part of the learning. Like I said, that's the PhD. That's why it's not <laughs> Dr. Jeremy J. Yeah, 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 you, you got the street PhD, man, yeah, yeah. from getting out there and just yeah. living it and doing and, everything, man. And then there's the, the game as well, like I said, like you said, the negotiations of bringing the artists here and, I mean, fitting it into a schedule is one thing, and then it's the um, it's the actual cost of it, you know. Like, and then you've got to work out how you got to pay for it, you know. And obviously, you sell tickets and that, but you don't get that for the night off usually. Uh, there's a bit that goes with it. It ain't as simple as it may sound. Um, yeah, and a lot of like you said, there's those little secret overheads where you can have everything in place, and then mm-hmm. you know things can always tend to sort of blow out a little bit. And, yeah. You have a ten percent increase in your in your costs or unanticipated costs, and that can really sort of yeah. blow things out. And then, and then there's, a, for instance, like you've booked an artist to play the night, a club night, and then the day of or that night they don't show, they don't get on the the plane to come to Cairns, and then it's like, well, what do we do now? So that, that's happened. It, hopefully, uh, thankfully, it didn't happen often. I think maybe literally a handful of occasions, you know, out of the hundreds or whatever shows I was involved with. Thankfully issued too many times but it did occur and you know you have some disappointed people around that you sort of get a massage a bit on the night but you just you go with the flow you go with it you know put a festival on that on that um uh cairns cup like at the racetrack so cairns cup was on during the day and that night we had a festival on as part of a event was that a was that a hilltops gig or not because no, i remember a couple at the racetrack as well that, that were epic time out yeah time, time out time they out. were fun gigs too yeah, yeah. but we, we did this and then uh um we had like kid kenobi and uh vinyl singers uh there's some other artists that from around australia anyways it wasn't big but it was like a thousand people that showed up it was still worthwhile don't get me wrong and then liquor licensing rocked up and 
we had people selling food there and like little um you know like kind of food um stalls yeah and one of the ladies that was running a food stall had a son with her who was like 12 years old or something it was an 18 plus event liquor license and have rocked up the scene the kid yeah oh, man. the kid That's was so bullshit, the dude. kid was sitting in the mm. stall with his mum so he wasn't like out partying or anything he was just there because so she was looking after mom. him yeah, yeah man Liquor's license and you rock up, they see the kid there and say, well, there's a kid here who's under 18, we've got to close this down. But he's like, you're kidding me. And this was only like a couple of hours into the event, right? That's actually, incredible, Actually, Kid Kenobi was playing one of the main dudes um, at the time. And anyway, so liquor license, you're like, well, we're going to shut this down. And we're like, well, then hang on, mate. Like, we, you know, we've got a thousand people here and we've just started. And like some surely there's something here we can do. To some dilbert with his badge, like just trying yeah. to flex, you know what I mean? Like, so, seriously, guys, come so, on. So in the end, we had to kick everybody out, right? Stop the festival. Excuse me. Stop the festival, get everybody out, and then get them all coming in, checking their ID to make sure they're 18 plus. You think this went down well? So, I had to. We had to get on stage. Actually, did it from behind the stage because I didn't want to be on the stage. <laughs> be in the like, dude, you're on, like, on the microphone. Would it be like here? Just give it to the to the and, liquor licensing dude. Here uh, you go, bro. Jump up front and jump on the mic, and uh, you tell them, <laughs> mate. We were like it at that point. It was like oh, it was bro, stressful. That would have been um, hectic. So I had to get on the mic, and like I said, did it from behind the stage because he didn't want to be on the stage. <laughs> A getting, riot, getting shit thrown at us. And, yep. So on the stage, behind behind the stage, on the mic, um, excuse me, everybody, you know, we've shut the music down, sorry, liquor license, blah, blah, blah. But what we are asking is for you to walk out now and line up again and we'll let you back A lot in. of people would have thought you were just joking too, oh. like, it seems insane. And, and, you know, big day at the races. Can day, everyone's pissed. And yep. Yeah, so it would have been so yeah. hard just trying to coordinate yeah. that. So anyway, they, they, they all, eventually we got them all out and got them all to line up and then walk back in. We probably lost out of, say, a thousand people. Two or three hundred that walked away and didn't come back in, but anyway, for the majority mm. got them lined up. And I remember just walking up and down the line, just keeping the peace, you know, just you know, settle down, just be patient. We'll have you back in. We'll be kicking and, off again. And that's the thing, man. Like that could have created such a more dramas, more mm. fights, more problems mm. than mm. how they dealt with that. But I mean, it's just some people that they get that badge and they want to flex, yeah. you know. It's well, that's the thing. Like yeah, it's crazy. Know. I didn't know about that, one, man. Yeah, look a lot. They wanted mm. to shut it down. But we, we had to like stand our ground and say, mm. we can work through this mm. to keep the party going. Yeah, yeah. Which we managed. Had to think on your toes and yep. and yeah, that's yep. awesome. So yeah, it's, mm. there's an instance for you and mm. things going pear yeah. But uh, like you say, you just don't see these things coming. Hey, you, you do your best to toe the line, so to speak, and do what's right. And then something like that will pop up and rear its ugly head and deal with it in the moment. So yeah. Good on you, man. Yeah. Um, I think that's a good little sort of um, little way just to round this out. Is there yeah. anything else that you would recommend to to um, aspiring DJs that are coming up, mm-hmm. um, kids that are looking to sort of make music, promote any kind yeah. of advice or anything that you can sort of think of off the top of your head that that mm. you would say, you know, after all this experience and knowledge that you have. Mm. Yeah, that, cool. Look. Look, DJing, being an artist or whatever, they all have their different things that come with them. So it's hard to sort of put it in a nutshell. I guess ultimately you're doing it from the heart, you know. You believe in what you're doing and that's what matters. Hey, uh, look, at, at the end of the day, we're all different and unique and we all have our own ideas as to what's right and wrong or what works or what doesn't. You believe in it, you go for it. And, um, yeah, there will be other people out there that feel it just like you do. Don't think that you're an individual and the only one that 
liked a certain sound or a certain look or whatever, you just push and you just do your thing because um, we're all looking for something a little bit unique and um, new and fresh and you might have that what we're looking for. So, yeah, plug away at it. Brad, that's exciting advice, man. Appreciate your time. All good. Dr. Jeremy J. No, it's nice to reflect and uh, look back on these things too because, you know, you do forget. Things have been popping up in my head while we've been talking that I've forgotten about, you know, so. It's easy to do that, man. Mm. Get a bit of water under the bridge and forget about all the cool things, man. But I just want to say from my side as a consumer Mm. and on behalf of all my mates as well, man, I appreciate all the work you've done and the inspiration and the culture that you brought from from Adelaide back in the mm. early 2000s and yeah. you know delivered to us um us you know a lot of us boys like Gordy boys grew up yeah. in yeah. you know in the country essentially on mm. cane paddocks and going down the river and fishing mm. and then kind of segued you know um into you know mm. graffiti art hip hop you know yeah. break beats you yeah. know tech house and yeah, yeah. you know a lot of that stuff is is been like i said directly or indirectly inspired by your influence man so yeah. well in saying that too like um seeing the response and people loving it if anything drove me to go further with it you know what i mean or longer with it you know if if i wasn't getting that sort of response then it might have only been a matter of months of me doing things or whatever but but thanks to you know like yourselves and all that you know people respond and supporting you know like um it pushed us further no doubt and and we know that we feel it, and particularly when you're DJing or um, you know you're feeding off of those that are in front of you, literally, which is you blokes and others. You know, like that's what keeps you going mm. in that sense, putting yourself out there. So that helps, mate. It, it goes both ways. Yeah, it must be an awesome feeling when you ex- execute either a good set as a DJ mm. or a good promotion where you have an awesome set. Yep. You know, you make some money yep. and the you know, it must be awesome just to see kids or young people or yeah. whatever consumers just fucking just yeah. stoked out of their minds on a, on a good set or yeah. some good music, some quality music. I don't want to sort of go on another tangent on you here, mate, but um, one thing I did do was the DJ store that I set up through Tasty. And I, had, I couldn't tell you how many students had come through. I had quite a few. And to to see some of them, I didn't expect all of them, but some of them to sort of fulfil the core so to speak and go on and do things i mean that was heartening in itself and i've sort of had that you, you can tell when you're sort of mentoring some individuals you know not necessarily you know doing the, the class with me with the school but through just simply buying things through me or just talking to me you know when i'm painting or djing or involved with something uh, you, you can sort of see it rubbing off and um, again you know i'm a bit of a shy person i've got to admit but people like that sort of approaching you and whatnot just makes it all worthwhile, you know. Yeah, that sort of expression. Yeah, so don't be scared to. And that's another thing that I did was observe a lot of people that inspired me over the years. I would watch what they were doing and whatnot and question and ask questions and whatever. Don't be scared, you know. Like I, I'm more than happy to answer questions and, and whatnot. I mean, there are avenues through um, social media and whatnot. So if anybody wants to talk. I'm here. That's yeah. awesome, man. Yeah. I appreciate your time. Yeah, all good, mate. Thanks, bro. All good. Awesome. Happy days. Cheers, man. <laughs>